Friends, we've been looking uh, for the last uh, two weeks uh, in, uh, in Mark, Mark chapter 12. So please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12 and uh, verse 28. Uh, we, we're looking at a very short series um, on, uh, on how Jesus says, uh, the greatest commands are love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength, number one. Number two, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And uh, then when you go to John chapter 13, uh, Jesus says, a new commandment I'm giving you, that you love one another. And so there's these three, three commands that Jesus gives, and he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And, uh, and they're not many. Uh, they're, he says, my, my, my commands and my teaching are not burdensome. They're not, they're not heavy. They're light. And so we've been exploring what that means, and last week we had a look at the first portion, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And tonight we want to have a look at your mind and strength, and next week will be love your neighbor as yourself and love one another, and we'll close out together on that side. So for those of you who have your Bibles, we'll pick up in, uh, in Mark chapter 12. We'll read through it again. It's always good to go through there again, and, uh, and then we'll continue from there. And one of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with, heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked them. So seeing that answered, Jesus answered well, the scribe goes ahead to ask Jesus a question. Which commandment is the most important of all? And that's because the scribes were always trying to reduce the law into the kernel, what is the kernel of the law. But they were also trying to expand the law to make a whole lot of laws to make sure that you keep the kernel and don't break the kernel. I mean, it's this crazy thing. So, so he thought he'd throw it out to Jesus and find out what Jesus thought. And Jesus says, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the Shema. And Shema means hear. It's the first word of the sentence. And the Hebrews would pray this every day. A devout Jew would pray this twice a day um, as he begins his prayers. And uh, because Jesus starts with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, actually, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's, he's kind of introducing what I say next is really important. That's, that's what he's actually doing over here. So he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Now the question was, what is the most important? The answer, would, you would assume, that would be it. But nothing is ever simple when Jesus is dealing with people who have fallen minds and who are sinners. And Jesus says, and the second is this. I mean, you'd expect the guy to go, no, 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 no. I just asked you for one. Don't give me two, but Jesus gives two. And he says this, the second is this, you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's no greater command than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there's no other beside him. To love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, he links soul and mind together with all the understanding and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more important than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And herein is the first point that we want to have a look at tonight. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he doesn't say when Jesus saw that he answered correctly. It says when Jesus saw that he answered wisely. You see, correctly would have been he gathered the information and he regurgitated it back to Jesus. That's information. The way that he answered, Jesus says to him, the kingdom of heaven is near you. Seeing that he answered wisely, the kingdom of heaven is near you. If he answered correctly, the kingdom of heaven might not have been near him. He might not have understood the kingdom of heaven. He might not have been close to salvation. He might not have been close to the kingdom if he just answered correctly. You see, answering the correct way and knowing all the answers does not get you into heaven. 
It does not get you to experience the kingdom. It does not bring salvation to you and your home. It doesn't. Revelation does that. Wisdom comes from revelation. Correctness comes from information. And the goal here is, how do I move away from information about Jesus that I answer correctly to revelation, which means God opens my mind and reveals truth to me that I can put it into practice. That's wisdom. And he's answering wisely. And so somebody sent me this picture, or I read it on somebody's uh, uh, profile over the last few weeks. It says, information is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Okay? That's information. Wisdom is knowing you don't put it in a fruit salad. You get it? And so Jesus is responding to revelation. He says to Peter, when Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, and that was revealed to you by my father in heaven. Jesus is responding to revelation and wisdom. See, wisdom is putting into practice your knowledge. It's putting into practice the information. And this guy's putting it into practice. He's taken a step from just knowing what the greatest command is to actually putting it into practice. He's heard. That's what it means. Because love is an action when it comes to the Bible. It's not just an emotion. It's something you do. And so hearing this great command and not doing anything about it, that's information. I know what the greatest command is. Wisdom is hearing it and doing it. And this man is answering wisely. And the question is this, will we answer wisely with the information that we have, with the revelation that we've heard from God? Do we answer wisely? And when God's word says, you need to love the Lord your God with all your mind, tonight we're looking at mind and strength. Well, are we putting it into practice? Or do we just gather this information? Do we come to church and fill copious amounts of journals with notes? Are our Bibles colored like children's coloring in books, yet we're not putting into practice what God's Word is telling us to do? The biblical hearing, when Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Biblical hearing implies doing. It's not just hearing to gain information. And so with love, it implies an action and not just an emotion. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So we don't just show our love by word and talk, but do something. James chapter 1 and verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You see, the problem we have is this, is our minds play tricks on us. Your mind plays tricks on you, right? Because mine does. And I'm not saying yours does because mine does, but what I'm saying is that our minds play tricks on us. The Bible says that our minds deceive us. And so your mind deceives you, and my mind deceives me by thinking, hey, I came to church today, I'm good with God. In fact, I didn't just come to church today. I walked 18 blocks to get here because one service couldn't get out earlier than mine. I, that's what I did. In fact, I gave my parking space to a guest tonight. I really am right with God. That's what our minds do to us. God's word says none of that impresses God. None, none of that. But we, we play this game with ourselves and our minds deceive us. And the Bible says don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Don't just listen and gain all this information and think that you are at a level with Christ or you have a good relationship with God when actually you don't have a good relationship with God because you're not putting anything into practice. That's the challenge. So your mind and my mind, they play games with us and they lie to us 
And that's the problem. How on earth am I supposed to love God with all my mind when my mind is lying to me about its capacity to love God? That's really tough, isn't it? Last week, you remember we spoke about heart and how we have this heart of stone, a heart that is corrupt. And, and Jesus says he's going to come and give you a heart of flesh. When you repent of your sin and you ask Christ to come and change your life, he takes that heart of stone, he takes it away, and he gives you a heart of flesh, brand new. He creates something brand new inside of you. And you'll see the theme that flows through in this is, I don't have the capacity to love God because my heart is a heart of stone. And so God gives me a new heart to love him back. I don't have the capacity to love God with all my mind because my mind is fragile and my mind is deceitful. So what happens is God comes and when I repent of my sin, God creates something brand new. God puts his laws in my mind so that my mind can love him. See, that's called grace. And grace is something we don't deserve. God gives you something that you don't deserve. What we do deserve is God as a principal in the principal's office with a nice big cane. I know some of you have no frame of reference for that and should, uh, but the rest of us, we do. So you remember the good old days and the principal would sit in the office with a nice cane. It was like a piece of bamboo, very thin piece of bamboo, quite long. And if you did something wrong, the teachers would hit you with that cane. Yeah, I know that. That like really shocks you. Really? They used to hit us with it, and then we would never do that thing again. <laughs> well, let them believe that. So, but what we deserve is we deserve a God with a cane who sits in an office, and every single time you blow it, he brings you into the office and he whips you. That's what you deserve because you've done nothing better. You've done nothing to deserve anything better from God. Instead, what God does is he takes the cane and he nails his son to it and his son pays the price and then he comes to you as a father and says, come, let me put my arms around you. You don't deserve that. God gives it to you. It's grace. You don't deserve to have him change your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, but he does. It's called grace. You don't deserve for him to renew your mind so that you can love him with all your mind but he just does it because that's grace. You don't deserve for him to strengthen you so that you can love him with all of your strength, but he does that. That's grace. So the Bible says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. How's your capacity to love God with all of your strength tonight? How's your capacity to love him with all of your mind tonight? Do you find that easy or do you feel like your mind is racing in a hundred different places? Do you find that your strength is so limited that you're, you have such a little bit of strength that if you had to love God with all your strength, it would be a very little bit of strength? Well, tonight I want to say to you, you can call out to him and say, God, renew my mind, renew my strength so I can love you more. I want to love you with all that's there. I want you to increase my capacity to love you with all my mind and all my strength. So one, and know this, that this loving God is more than an emotion. It's an action. Second one is this. How do I love God with all my mind? I mean, what, how do I do that? Do I, do I like, some of you have like the love language of gifts, right? So do I imagine in my mind a nice big gift and I'm giving it to God? For some of you, your love language is time. Do you imagine you sitting with God, spending time with him? Is that, Matt, is that what you're talking about? Let's have a look at what the Bible says when it talks about loving God with our mind 
When it talks about loving God with our mind, what God's word's talking about is loving God with your reason, with your, your intellect, with your, um, uh, your, your thinking. That's what God's word is talking about. How does your thinking, reason, intellect, how does that honor God? That's the question you want to ask. How am I honoring him with that? So let me ask you this question. Where is your mind dwelling tonight? Just take a quick moment. You've got 10 seconds. Where is your mind dwelling? On what is your mind dwelling? What's the thought that your mind dwells on at the moment? What's filling your thoughts? If, if we could put those thoughts up on a big screen, would people look at that and go, that equals the love of God? Yeah, I can just see your faces. See, I can't give you that face because I'm preaching this, but I can see your faces and we feel the same. We feel the same because we're going, I don't know if it would be good for everybody to see my thoughts. Where is your mind dwelling at the moment? It starts out with thinking. Here's what Colossians chapter 3 and 2 says. Set your minds on these things, the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's got a way of things being done, and he wants those things done on earth as they are in heaven. So set your mind on these things, the things above, not the things of earth. So I need to think, right? Number one is, if I want to love God with my, my mind, and I, I, want to, I want to learn how to think. I want to learn how to think on his things. I want to learn how to think about this world that I live in through the lens of God's word. That's what I want to do. I want to learn how to think about God's word and think about the world I live in and try to see where are they different. Where is this world that I live in different to God's word? I think that we need more, I think, we need more Christians who think. The world is asking us questions. Your friends who don't know Jesus are asking you questions. Your work colleague is throwing out great ethical issues to you in the office, and the conversation is taking place. Are we equipped enough to actually answer those questions? Are we thinking enough, or do we keep falling back into this? Listen, it's about faith, not about thinking. You, you don't think. If you want to be a Christian, you don't think, all right? You, just, you stop thinking. It's just believing. I want you to know that that's not true because the Bible tells us to think. You have a brain. God gave you a brain, and he wants that brain to function, and he wants us to think. And there are more and more calls from the society that we live in to know what God's word says on specific issues. And I look across here, and I know some of you, and I know that you have incredibly sharp minds. And God has called you to go and engage with his word, to go and research well. That doesn't mean Google, but to go and research well and, and understand what God's word is saying about the issues of our day. And then to come and bring answers to that. See, what we do is we enter into an ethical debate. We enter into questions that people who are searching ask. And we answer based on our own personal reasoning and our own ability to think. Instead of going to God's word and trying to find out what does God's word say about this. And then how equipped am I to answer the question based on God's word? So if the first one is think, then what we have to do is we have to start engaging and trying to grow up that resource in order to think. 1 Peter 4 and verse 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. It's an armor. I arm myself with a way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You see, I arm myself with this. As I, as I start to think on what is above, and I start to think and spend my time thinking about God's word, I've armed myself and I've got ready. Number two, prepare yourself for action. 
Here's what God's word says. Peter, um, writing to the churches, 1 Peter, has this a number of times. In chapter 1 and verse 13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded or self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 says, The end of all things is near. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Think about these things for the sake of your prayers. So one is on the grace. The other one is for the sake of your prayers. The next one is be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around. So grace, my prayers, the enemy, the devil. Man, if you need three great reasons, there they are. Because we need to think about grace. You know why? Because like you, I sometimes need grace. I need grace from others. You sometimes act like just a total idiot. Yeah, I do. And sometimes I just need grace. Sometimes I need grace from others. Sometimes I need grace to give to others. And sometimes I just need to understand the grace that God gives me. But in order to do that, I need to set my mind on that. And I need to intentionally think about that. It's not something that just I go through life and then by osmosis, the stuff just drips in. I need to, I need to start engaging, engage with God's word, engage about grace. Think about how certain circumstances in my life need grace, how I need to give grace, where I was given grace, and to be aware of that and to, to meditate on grace. And when I'm praying, to set my mind on that so that I can pray. Because I'm sure that, like me, when you pray, your mind is running in a hundred different ways. It's like you're taking all the dogs from the suburb for a walk at the same time. Is that, is that, is that like for you? Because it's like that for me. Like it's going that way and that way and up the street and around the corner. And that's a nice house. And that's a great tree. We should get a tree like that for Drake Road. I wonder what type of tree that is. Oh, goodness, we forgot to pave in that area. Better do oh, Sorry, God, I'm busy praying. You see... It's not just like me when we do things like that. The disciples did exactly the same thing. Jesus invites the disciples personally to come into a prayer meeting with him. Hey, guys, would you come and watch and pray with me? Oh, yes, Jesus, we'll come. All right, come along, guys. You pray here. I'm going to pray there. Jesus is in his prayer meeting there. The disciples are in their prayer meeting here. The disciples turn their prayer meeting into a sleep meeting. Jesus is praying over there. They sleep meeting over here. Jesus comes back three times and wakes them up. Guys, can't you just watch with me for one hour? Can't you pray with me for one hour? Okay, Jesus, we'll pray, we'll pray. Jesus goes off. They turn it into a sleep meeting again. And here they are sleeping. Jesus comes back. He goes, guys, I just want you to know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need to train our thinking. But we need to train our thinking because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And he wants to rip you apart. And you need to realize this, that this call to be a Christian is not a call to go and have a holiday on the beach and drink milkshakes for eternity. When you become a Christian, you enter into a battle. When you become a Christian, you get an enemy. He was not your enemy before. But when you become a Christian, Satan now is your enemy. Before you became a Christian, he was your master. But now that you become a Christian, he's your enemy. And so you step into a war. And so you need to prepare your minds for that, be ready for action. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 tells you to be ready to give an answer to those who ask you why you believe what you believe. Why do you have this hope? So imagine we could go around to each one of you who you say, hey Matt, we're Christ followers. I say, give me a, give me a show of hands. Everyone is a Christ follower. Those of you who believe that you're Christ follower, you put up your hand. 
We go, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to each one of you and we're going to ask, what's the reason why you're a Christ follower? Will you tell everybody? And everybody gets a chance to share that question. Here's a pop quiz. What would you say? If I asked you what is the reason for your faith, what would you say? Because we should be ready. The Bible says be ready. And so that means I need to be thinking. I need to love God with all my mind. I need to be ready for that. So when people ask me, some of you are are exploring the claims of Christ tonight. And the reason why you're here is to try and see if there's some validity to this. To try and see if Jesus is real, if God is real. And what these people say they have in them is that true. What you're looking for is you're looking for people who can give you a reason for their faith. That's, That's what you're looking for. For those of you who are Christ followers, you have friends who are saying, you know what, I'm thinking about Christ. Would you give me a reason for that? And so I want you to know you need to be ready to give people a reason for the faith that you have. Are you ready to give that reason? The fourth one on this is that God's word is central and it means that we need, to, we need intentional renewal if we're going to love God with our minds. Intentional renewal. This is what God's word says. Don't be conformed to the ways of the world, but instead... Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We allow our minds to be renewed by God's word. It means I spend time reading God's word and applying that back to my life. Remember, it's reading and applying. It's not just reading for knowledge. It's not reading for knowledge and information. It's reading for revelation and wisdom. That's, That's what I'm trying to do. As I do that, as I read it and I want to apply it, that's what God's word calls meditating. I meditate on God's word and I allow it to settle in my mind and I allow it to shape my thoughts because if I allow God's word to shape my thoughts it'll shape my behavior if it shapes my behavior it shapes my lifestyle so there's that story that you've probably heard a million times about the old man who has two dogs one in the front garden one in the back garden and his grandkid says grandpa why do you keep your dogs separate why don't they play together and he says because whenever they come together they're always fighting and he says, in the little boy, he looks at his grandfather and he says, and so when they do fight, which one wins? And his grandfather says, the one I feed the most. You see, you're being discipled either by God's word or you're being discipled by pop culture and media and the conversation of your friends and the conversation of pop culture and the conversation of uh, the, 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 the culture and society that we live in. That's, you're being discipled by one of the, one of the other. And, and what happens is I need to fill my mind with more of God's word. Because if I don't fill my mind with more of God's word and pop culture disciples me more, then I end up with answers from pop culture and I think that this is the way I should be behaving. And so when I'm faced with a challenge, I don't have God's word to lead me and guide me. All I have is pop culture. So I just do what is the wisdom of the day. And unfortunately, the wisdom of the day will get you into trouble because the wisdom of the day is not wisdom to God. And so if I'm going to love God with all my mind, I need God's word to saturate my mind so that I can put into practice what God has shown me and what God wants me to be doing. So intentional renewal. There's humility in this as well. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 tells us to have this mind amongst us and goes on to share about the humility of Christ. You see, we get all this information and for many folk, you get the information and we puff ourselves up. Man, if only you knew how much I knew. You know, if only you knew how I knew how to balance out pop culture and God's word, because I would be that scribe that Jesus looked at and said, you have answered wisely. You see, as you start gaining information about God's word, your enemy, the devil, comes and he brings more temptation into your heart and more temptation into your mind. The Bible says he fires thoughts into your mind like an archer would fire arrows 
at a target. And he says he fires them into you. And you know what he'll do? He'll try to get you to believe that you are better than what you actually are. And so he fires these thoughts in. And so after a while, we start to become puffed up and proud. And we think, actually, I'm quite good. I'm quite good. And we start gaining a mass of knowledge. And we hear what God's word says, but we don't do what it says. And so if you're going to love God with all your mind, you need to learn how to be humble. You also need to learn how to be led by the Spirit. John 8 verse 5 says this, Those who live according to the Spirit, according to the flesh, excuse me, set their minds on the things of the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you set your mind on the things of the flesh. But if you live according to the Spirit, you set your minds on the things of the Spirit. That means, God, I want you to lead me. And this is the beautiful picture of grace, guys. That God says, your mind can't lead you in the way I want it to lead you. So I'm going to renew your mind and I'm going to let my spirit lead you. I'm going to shape your thinking. So set your mind on the things of the spirit. Set your minds on the things above. Renew your mind by, by God's word. And then allow the Holy Spirit to lead your thinking. That is how you love God with all your mind. I love God with all my mind by repenting of the way I have been thinking and submitting my thoughts to him and saying, God, you lead my thinking. I will think about myself the way your, your word talks about me, as a prized possession, as one who was formed in my mother's womb by you. One who has sinned and will have eternity in hell, but one who is loved by you, one who can get forgiveness from you, one who gets grace from you. That's how I think about myself. I think about my world in the same way. Guys, you know there's a massive blessing that comes from this? In Isaiah chapter 26, God's word says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace. Have you in the last couple of weeks had a time where it feels like your peace has been rocked? Have you had a time like that? Our country has just gone through a week like that. There's some whose peace has been rocked. And so before the elections, there's some places where there's just no peace. There's some places where there is peace. But I want you to know something. That it doesn't really matter what political party rules your city, your province, or your country. It doesn't matter who's in charge. If you're a believer, your peace comes from Jesus. That's where it comes from. Your peace does not come from man. Your peace comes from Jesus. Your provision comes from Jesus. You might have the party you voted for. I just want you to know that if that party became the ruling party or is the ruling party, I want you to know that if your best friend became the president... And your class became the party. I just want you to know, all those people talking around the bra with all those great ideas, I want you to know, if they became the president's counselors, I want you to know there would still be people who are poor. Because Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. I want you to know there's still going to be potholes. My gutter will probably still be broken outside my house. I want you to know that it doesn't matter what your street is called or how the street name is changed, whether it's your ancestor or my ancestor. It, that's not the important thing. But we've allowed our minds to focus on things that are not important. Why is that not that important? And I'm not downplaying this. Change the names. But I want you to know this, that if you're going to put your hope in a name change, you're going to miss something. Because as Christ followers, we're ambassadors of heaven. My city is heaven. My country is heaven. I'm an ambassador here. Don't get caught up with the little things here. I'm an ambassador of heaven. My peace comes from him. Those who set their minds on him, he keeps in perfect peace. Hebrews 8 verse 10, I will put my laws in their minds, God says, and write them on their hearts, 
and I will be their God, and they will be my people. I just love that. As God enables me to love him with all my mind, as God leads my thinking, God also comes and puts me in perfect peace. And as God puts me in perfect peace, he also says, as I lead you, I will be your God. You will be mine. That's beautiful, isn't it? How should you respond to that? Is it something that God's been speaking to you about and just saying you need to repent of this tonight? Well, put that in the bank and hang on to it because we'll come back to that. So I love God with all my mind and love God with all my strength. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And often when this has been preached about, the interpretation of here is, I love God with all my heart, with all my mind, uh, with all my soul, and your strength is love God with all your body. Okay, I love God with my body. While that's part of it, that's not all of it. Because when God's word is saying, love God with all your strength, it's talking about all your resource, all your influence, everything that you are. Love God with all of that. You know, when two countries go to war, uh, and, what, and they start this rhetoric, of the war rhetoric, and one country says to the other country, we are going to annihilate you. The other country says, we will raise all of our strength against you. They don't mean we're going to load up a whole lot of soldiers in an airplane, fly it over your capital city, and bomb it with soldiers, all right? And just drop a whole lot of soldiers out of a building. Boom, 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 boom. They all hit your buildings, and then, you know, we win the battle. That's not what they mean. What they mean is, we're going to send aircraft carriers. We're going, to, we're going to drop bombs all over your cities. We're going to send our soldiers, and they're going to be crawling all over your streets. We're going to hack your internet systems, and we're going to bring down your economy. That's what they're talking about when they say, we're coming at you with all our strength. Strength is more than just your body. It's your resource. It's your influence. It's where do you influence. It's how are you influenced. That's what it means to love God with all your strength is, is loving him with everything that I am. But it's a good place to start if we just evaluate and consider just our bodies. So let me ask you this one over here as a quick evaluation. Your eyes. What are you watching and looking at and reading at the moment? Would you say that that brings honor to God? Does that bring honor to Him? The things that you're seeing. Perhaps it's the things that you see and you do nothing about. Perhaps it's a poverty that you see and you don't do anything about that. Perhaps it's a racism that you see and you don't do anything about that. What do you see that would dishonor God? What are you doing with your eyes? What are you doing with your ears? What are you listening to? What is the conversation you're listening to? What is the joke that you're listening to? What do you accommodate and what do you allow in your hearing? What about your speech? What are you saying? Do you get caught up in gossip? Do you get caught up in slander? What are your jokes like that you tell? The Bible says that, of course, joking and foolish talk is out of place in the life of a believer. Have you allowed it to become part of your life as a believer? What about your hands, the things that you do? Perhaps that could mean your work. What am I doing? Where am I serving? What do I do with that? Are you an example of a model student at school or varsity? Are you a model of the greatest employee uh, in the company? Are you a, a, an example of a great employer? Because as believers, we should be that example. Because the Bible tells us, whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it for God. That's, that's what it means. I'm ashamed to tell you I copied my homework most days. And you know why that sh I'm ashamed to tell you that? Because that dishonored Jesus. In one breath, I was claiming to be a believer. In the next breath, sometimes we would steal the homework we're copying. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't even ask for it. It's just like, 
go take the guy's bag out of the book and copy the homework and put it back. That's a bad idea. Don't do that, all right? Just don't do that, guys. But are we an example of that? Are we an example in what we do with our hands? What about your feet? Where are your feet taking you? Into what company do your feet take you? Not the business company, but friendship company. Where do you go with your feet? What places do you go to? The places you go to, the company that you keep, does that honor God? Does it not honor God? The age-old question, I go to that place because I go there to tell people about Jesus. I assure you, there's people who work with you that need to know about Jesus. There's people in the next-gen ministry who need to know about Jesus. Put the same passion you're putting into going there into next-gen ministry. And tell people about Jesus who hear first and then go there. Where are your feet taking you? And so sometimes as believers, we need to reevaluate and go, hang on. I think that my eyes are leading me into sin. My ears are, my hands are, my feet are, my mouth is. I need, I need God's forgiveness. I need to repent of some bad habits that I have in my life. Because it's about where do I influence? What is my resource? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 talks about this idea of service. And it says this. It says that we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, his master art, his masterpiece. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In other words, when you became a Christ follower, the day you repented of your sin and gave your life over to him, God created not just a brand new creation, but it was his masterpiece. He worked a piece of art and he said, I'm creating you for good works. In other words, I have these things, this purpose that I have for you. And if you would submit to me and listen to me, I will show you what these are and you can do this. And if you do this, this will be your purpose. You will discover what purpose is. This is how God created us as Christ followers. And so God's word says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says that, that he gave to each one also spiritual gifts. He gave you something so that you can achieve that purpose. And then verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 12, God arranges you to be in a body. We spoke a little bit about that in the, the announcements when I announced that we're having a, a meet and greet. For some of you, you've been hanging out at Sterling and you're feeling like, this is where I want to be. I'm a Christ follower and I've just moved into town and I feel like this is going to be home. This is, that's what this is going to be. That's the Spirit of God arranging the parts of the body. And so He arranges us to be together to bring honor to His name and to bring glory to Him and to build up one another. And so I want to ask you this question is, are you serving? We say to our guys in our foundations, which is foundations for membership, we want you as a part of this body to have one area of service, one area where you serve. Not because we're going please, we want to beg you, we need, but because some people have got like six or seven areas of service. And we, so we're wanting to go, no, no, just one area. Can you have one area? In two weeks' time, our next-gen guys are going to share about areas of ministry where you can serve. Two weeks ago, uh, the last week, actually, we had our um, crossover camp. So you might, might see some, some young, uh, we call them tweeners. They're the group just before teenagers. They they, they're, they're in between children and teenagers. So they come in and they sit at the back and then during the worship they go out again. And so that's the crossover age group. And so they were at a, a camp last weekend and it was amazing to drop off Nathan at this camp in Stutteram and, uh, and then walk around and see people from our number who had taken leave on the Friday so that they could be out there to set up and that they could be looking after your child, some of your children and out mine 
and pass on faith to them. You just have to understand what this is like. I was a youth pastor for a number of years. Teenage ministry is really hard. Tweenage ministry is just a whole new level. Because teenagers think they know everything. Tweeners get angry because you don't treat them like teenagers. Can you just see how hard that is? Like you guys really get frustrated when your parents don't treat you like adults, right? Like, come on, I'm almost an adult. If this was 300 years ago, I'd be married and out of the home by now, right? So that's what you're thinking. Treat me like an adult. Tweeners are angry not because you're not treating them like an adult because they're still children and they still need help and they don't know how to tie their shoes and stuff. But they're, they're going, you don't treat me like a teenager. And you're going... I don't want to treat you like a teenager. Do you know what a teenager is? And they all want to be teenagers. And they all think they're teenagers. But then they, they flip between teenagers and kids. And teenagers and kids. Ding, 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 like this. And people took leave to go and be with them. <laughs> and then afterwards I go to them. So how was the time? How was the weekend? And they go, oh, it was amazing. These are the adult leaders. Oh, it was amazing. You know, it's so cool to build relationships with these kids. I'm going, you're 44 years old. They're 11. You took a weekend to build a relationship with an 11-year-old. And they go, yeah, but I did. You know why? Because I want to share with them the reason for the hope that I have. Where are you serving? I watched people's eyes light up as they go, man, I spent time with these tweeners the whole weekend. It was amazing. I loved it. Because they're understanding purpose. That's why. Have you discovered your purpose yet? Because until you engage and serve and love God with all your strength and all your influence, you're never going to discover purpose. You will think that this walk with Christ is boring. You will think that you can achieve nothing. And you will look for other things to try and find purpose in your life. But purpose can only come, if you're a believer, you will only discover purpose by clicking in to the purpose that God has for you. Because he created you in Christ for those good works. Where are you influencing? Where are you influencing culture? A great day to watch rugby yesterday. So we watched the rugby yesterday and uh, the Lions lost. They played against the Hurricanes and they lost. But actually, I feel like we won. Do you know that? I feel like we won. And that's not because suddenly I want to become a Cane supporter. That's, that's because at the end of the game, when all was said and done, and everybody was jumping around the stands in Wellington. It was in Wellington, is that right? Everyone's jumping around and screaming. And the camera panned across from a celebrating Hurricanes team to the Sharks. And everybody knows what happens when they do that. you got these guys that are grown men acting like little kids crying on the field. And like, just wipe your nose and be a grown man. You know, just, you lost a game. But that's not what happened. They panned across. And there was the Lions team kneeling in the middle of a rugby stadium, in the middle of a secular country that does not know Jesus, in the middle of thousands of people getting ready to mock them for their faith, kneeling, hands raised, some of them, thanking God for the privilege of being able to play rugby. And I just thought, we won today. You might have got the trophy, but we won. They used their influence where they were. Are you using your influence where you are? How you influence your office? How you influence your family? Wherever you work, live, and play. That's how I love God with all my strength. But there's blessing that comes with this, and I'll close out here. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, The joy of the Lord is your strength. When I put my strength in God and I allow God to strengthen me, that God goes, I'm going to give you joy. 
and I will give you that joy, and my joy will be your strength. Or Psalm 28 and verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I'm helped. I'm helped. God knows you don't have the strength, but when you trust him, he gives you strength, and he helps you. Psalm 84 and verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose hearts are highways to Zion, highways to heaven. Man, our prayer is that our hearts would be highways to heaven. That we'd be able to love God with all our minds and all of our strength. There's two ways you can be responding tonight. One is to say, God, would you come and show me where my mind has been dishonoring you and where my strength has been dishonoring you? And when God shows you that, you respond by saying, God, would you forgive me? That's called repentance. I repent before him. As an explorer, you would say, God, I'm sensing you showing me that I have not matched up to your standard and I want to do that. It means that you're like that man going, Jesus, would you show me what's the most important command here? And if that's you, I want you to know the kingdom of, of heaven is very close to you right now. And God would be saying to you, would you just repent of your sin? Would you, secondly, would you submit, would you give your life over to me? And would you submit your thinking to me? Would you submit your strength to me? And so the ways of responding is in repentance and submission. I would guess that it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a Christ follower or not, I would guess that all of us need to respond in that way tonight. That we can love God with all our strength, not just what's left. We can love God with all our minds, not just what's left. So let's bow our heads and let's just allow God to come and minister to us as we close out. Perhaps God's revealed to you a pattern of thinking that needs your repentance tonight. Would you just repent? You stop holding on to that and just say to him, God, I'm sorry. I'm not happy about this pattern of thinking. Maybe there's a habit. You just need to say, God, would you help me to break that habit? I know it doesn't honor you. And then would you just freshly submit that before him? Maybe tonight your prayer is just simple. God, I want to freshly submit my thinking to you. I want to freshly submit my strength to you. And God, would you help me to honor you and love you with all my thinking, with my whole mind, and all my strength? If that's your prayer tonight, I want to pray for you. And I want to ask you to respond the way we responded last week. And I want to ask you to, to put that into practice. And would you stand as I pray? Just where you are, just stand. And I'm not going to keep it going long. Just stand so we can pray. And together we can repent before the Lord. And just freshly submit our lives before him. And I can pray for you. So you're going, God, would you help me to love you with all my strength and all my mind? If that's your heart, would you stand where you are? So, Father, we stand before you tonight. We don't stand before each other. We're not here for the praise of man. We're here because we want to hear from you and because we want to respond to you.
And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that for those who've repented before you and asked you to come and lead their thinking and strengthen their feeble bodies, strengthen us, Lord. God, I pray that your spirit would come and that you would impress on each of our hearts the ministry of forgiveness that comes from you. And God, we may know the joy of the Lord as you start to strengthen us, re-strengthen us, and renew our thoughts again. Lord, for each person standing, empower them with your spirit, for your glory. Wherever we work, live, and play, God, may we bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And all those who are standing, let's say amen.